Stay Alive. I'm Graham Lynch. This week, it's a special episode devoted entirely to the NBN upgrade announcement. NBN's corporate plan on Wednesday outlined two big investment upgrades for the network. The first was the expansion of gigabit capacity to extend from about 20% to 75% of its fixed network footprint. This is to be achieved through a complete upgrade of the HFC network to DOCSIS 3.1, GFAST upgrades on the fibre to the curb footprint, and the overlay of GPON across half the FGTN footprint, with lead-ins only to be built when customers order speeds they cannot already get. The second announcement was a massive expansion of the business FTTP footprint to cover 90% of the national customer universe, with about half of them to get CBD-level low-cost pricing. There was a lot of detail in the announcements, and we'll be unpacking some of it with Communications Minister Paul Fletcher and our editors, Simon Ducks and Rowan Pearce, later in the show. There was lots of confusion in the media reporting and the so-called expert commentary around the announcements this week. Some of it innocent, maybe some of it not so innocent. But I thought it would be best, in that light, to hear from NBN CEO Stephen Rue himself first up, in his own words, as to what the upgrades entail. This from Wednesday. This is a $4.5 billion commitment that will extend the reach of fibre and ultra-fast speeds further into our fixed-line footprint. It contains new programmes to support the digitisation of Australian businesses and the establishment of a co-investment fund to boost connectivity in regional Australia. As I mentioned earlier, the centrepiece of this network investment plan is the commitment of $3.5 billion over three years to make our high-speed plans available to up to 75% of homes and businesses in the fixed-line footprint by 2023, compared to around 20% today. Or put it another way, by 2023, 7 in 10 households or businesses across Australia, across all footprints, will be able to order NBN plans with peak download speeds close to 1 gigabit per second. A large part of getting to 75% is a $2.9 billion program to extend fibre from the node deeper into FTTN neighbourhoods, enabling premises to move to an FTTP service when they order a higher-speed plan. We will also make our higher-speed plans more available in HFC and FTTC footprints, upgrading equipment and exchanges, completing the rollout at DOCSIS 3.1, boosting network capability and fixing in-home wiring issues where necessary. These programs vastly increase access in a fixed-line footprint to a higher-speed plans, but will also mean by 2023 that 85% of premises in the, foot, in the fixed footprint, footprint can order 100 megabits per second and 95% can order 50 megabits per second plan. I want to emphasize some key points around the proposed network architecture in this plan. We've already put a lot of fiber in the ground to each node, a distance on average of more than 10 kilometers. This program reuses that existing fiber, but takes it beyond the node into local streets. The final piece of fiber into the home or business, or the lead-in, will only be built when a higher speed service is ordered. This means customers actually demonstrate their demand for high speed before we expend around half of the incremental capex. Demand is closely linked to expenditure, which in turn is offset by the increased revenue. And this is a crucial point. We are not replacing FTTN. 
this network will continue to operate and provide very good services for years to come. But what we are providing in a CapEx-efficient way are options so that if people in FTTN areas which to purchase, wish to purchase higher speeds in years to come, they will be able to do so. This plan also allocates capital to provide significant support for Australian businesses. We will invest up to $700 million over three years, dependent on demand, to collaborate with industry and help deliver enhanced digital capabilities supporting business innovation, productivity and growth. And this includes the creation of up to 240 business fibre zones nationally, including 85 in regional centres. Businesses within these zones will gain access to enterprise Ethernet, providing symmetrical speeds of up to 1 gigabit per second at significantly reduced wholesale prices. We estimate that these business fibre zones will cover around 700,000 Australian premises. Business premises. The inclusion of regional centres in these zones means that businesses in places like Bunbury, Mount Gambia, Bathurst and Rockhampton will gain access to the fast, reliable and secure broadband they need to remain competitive. Businesses will have access to the services, support and tools they need to innovate and compete in global markets at prices previously reserved for the centres of capital cities. And in addition to these zones, we will also offer our premium-grade business fibre service, Enterprise Ethernet, to service providers with no upfront bill costs for an estimated 90% of business locations covered by the NBN network. For areas that are not designed as business fibre zones, there is a $50 million fund to co-invest with local councils or state governments so that we can extend business-grade services as far as possible. And these are examples of important investments into Australian businesses that will contribute to NBN's revenue and EBITDA growth. But it also comes at a time when broadband has never been more relevant and critical to the success of Australian businesses. Now, a day earlier, I spoke with Communications Minister Paul Fletcher about these announcements. I asked him, first of all, to explain the challenges that he, the department and NBN Co. faced in finding the right middle way through all the pro and con arguments for various degrees of fibre upgrade? When you unpack the detail, there's a lot of detail there, and I think a lot of credibility in terms of... We now know, having rolled out this network, we know what's involved, and um, we've got a good handle on customer demand as well. As you and I spoke about a few weeks ago, launching Home Ultra Fast, Home Super Fast... That was partly about just dipping our toes in the water and getting a sense of whether there was real demand there. We thought there was. I think it's pretty clear there is. Yeah. And uh, But, of course, when you can only market to 18% of the footprint, that's a little bit of a challenge. As mm. we get up towards 75%, I think we'll start to see some strong um, sales messages coming out. Yeah. The other thing I'm really pleased about is um, the lead-in on demand. I mean, it's what Chorus has done. It's been so successful yeah, for yeah. them. Uh, it's what they've done in the UK. Labor's approach was just crazy. And to have this more rational approach, um, it, it means that you can actually, for people who haven't followed it as closely as you, it's quite counterintuitive to say, well, hang on, it cost you $49 billion to get to this point. How is it that for $3.5 billion, you can go from 18% able to get one gig to 75%. Yeah. 
but but the answer is because we're doing it sensibly, it's on demand, and you know, guess what? Um, fiber zealots and um, and Twitter warriors. <laughs> no matter how much we talk about it, it's only a segment of the market that wants it. Now the segment's bigger than ten years ago, but it's still only a segment. Yep. The segment is undoubtedly going to grow, but doing it on demand just makes so much more sense. Then I asked the minister to explain the reasoning behind the timing of these upgrades. Why not earlier? Why not wait later for more evidence of demand? The judgment call we had to make was, is that what we want to announce as our next um, sort of step upgrade in commitment? Mm. Or do we want to go further? Mm. And we got, where we got to, obviously, we wanted to go further. And, you know, there's probably three principal reasons why we're doing this now and why we're able to do it now. First was, going back to 2013, we were very clear about speed of rollout was critical and that's why Fibre to the Node had a very important role. And therefore, we needed to get to where we are now, in other words, 99% of the, of the volume rollout now done, um, to be in a position... Um, uh, to then turn our minds to the next stage of the upgrade. The next thing um, uh, was that um, uh, we've seen this um, bring forward of demand that COVID has stimulated. Um, so, you know, we've tested the demand with things like the... the um, home ultra-fast, home super-fast that's already out in the marketplace, but COVID has also brought forward demand. The third thing has been proving up the business model and the cash flows and getting the point where it's a $3.8 billion revenue yeah. company, which lets us finance this through the $6.1 billion that NBN borrowed from private sector debt markets earlier in the year, and we're going to do a little more uh, borrowing that um, uh, Stephen Rue will... Uh, lay out in great detail tomorrow afternoon when he releases the next version of the corporate plan. Yeah. Um, so um, it's really those three factors that have come together as to why why now is the right time. And 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 our judgment was it was the right time to put a seventy five percent benchmark in place rather than what would otherwise have been close to fifty. Um, and we felt we couldn't should go further. turn our attention now to the financial aspects of NBN Co's uh, big week of announcements. And we're doing so with Rowan Pearce, who's the executive editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. How's it going? Good. Okay. Um, now, NBN is spending an extra $6 billion or so on network upgrades and IT enhancements but still their internal rate of return is going to go up. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, so I thought that was quite interesting. So basically the previous corporate plan, the, um, the IRR, it's very hard to say without sounding vaguely like a pirate, I find, but the IRR was pegged at 3.2%. 
this corporate plan is pegged at 3.7%. So, and that's actually, um, just, uh, just before I get into it, it's kind of interesting because I, I had a look back at the 2016 corporate plan, I think it was, which said, based on the strategic review of the NDN after the um, coalition uh, came to power and we shifted to the NTN model, they were kind of forecasting 32 to 3.5%. So it's kind of actually like it's, it's actually even better than uh, that had projected. So I, I actually asked Stephen Rue um, during the corporate plan launch about what, what's driving this increase in the IRR. And he said there's kind of like two key factors. So one is that there's 300,000 premises that weren't in the previous corporate plan, um, which are going to be connected to the MBN. And those are basically uh, greenfield residential developments and also some kind of like residential and um, commercial precincts being redeveloped and obviously more more services, more revenue for um, NBN. The other one is um, actually with the kind of the increased fiber rollout, both the you know the giga, more gigabit capable services for residential um, premises, and also you know more fiber services in general for businesses. Like obviously that's going to have an impact on kind of NBN's revenues, and so those are the kind of two key factors he cited. Okay. Um, now, the other interesting aspect to some of their financial announcements this week was that they're basically uh, going to pay off all their government debt and roll it over in favour of uh, private debt. Now, how is that going to work? Yeah, so obviously earlier this year, um, NBN revealed that they'd raised $6.1 billion on private debt markets. And Stephen Ruse said, well, this kind of... This, this showed a level of kind of private sector confidence about the company's future. And so on the back of that, they're now looking at raising $27.5 billion by FY24. So that's going to um, be used for a number of things. Like one is obviously refinancing the $19.5 billion loan that the government gave them to um, essentially finish the rollout. And then the rest is actually going to be like funding all the other investments that were kind of outlined in the corporate plan. So that's, that's connecting those 300,000 premises I mentioned um, also work on simplifying NBN's IT systems, and then also there's some work, kind of ongoing investments in the fixed wireless and, and satellite market. So actually, the, the other thing I'll add to that is, um, although like a lot of the discussion around the corporate plan has been on the upgrade to FTTN, uh, Stephen Rue did also flag, well, there's going to be um, you know, GFAST for FTTC and also upgrades to HFC. So that's also going to obviously like an incur a capital cost. And so those funds will be used for that. I think um, probably the, the other interesting dynamic that we were discussing the other day is it's actually going to kind of broaden the stakeholders for NBN um, that NBN actually has to answer to, even though, you know, privatisation for the NBN is still way off and the government's not really talking about it yet, it will mean there's going to be a broader range of stakeholders involved in the kind of NBN's decisions. Okay, now finally, um, in a, a, a separate um, announcement this week, NBN told the ACCC that it would like to see regulation applied to what it describes as competition from 5G operators and from business network operators. This seems to be a bit of a first. Um, what's, their, uh, what's the reasoning behind this? Yeah, so as you know, like I always love delving into a good uh, ACCC consultation. And in this case, it's one about um, the, the rules around, uh, you know, so-called super-fast networks. So basically those kind of non-NBN networks that are capable of delivering 25 megabits or, or faster to residential end-users. So 
basically you, you have these kind of this regulatory regime which is really designed to protect the economics of the NBN because you know NBN is hampered by the fact that it needs to deliver broadband services across Australia, including to very you know non-commercial places in regional Australia. Um, and so what what NBN has actually done is like during these consultations with the HFC, it's flagged the fact that, well, you have Optus positioning its 5G home broadband services potential alternative to NDN, and then you also have Telstra flagging the potential launch of fixed wireless service based on 5G, and they haven't, haven't explicitly positioned it necessarily as an alternative to the NDN, but the NDN is basically arguing, well, you know, these services should, they are kind of, on a technical level, if not necessarily an economic level, alternatives to the NDN, so maybe they should be under that same framework that other um, fixed-line networks will be. I think actually the other thing I should add is obviously um, Inaki at TPG Telecom has also you know, discussed in a general sense that they'll probably look at fixed wireless at some point too. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's kind of actually, the, the, other thing, um, the other thing I forgot to mention was that NBN's um, also saying, well, you know, networks that deliver services to business users should also be regulated in this regime. So it's a kind of interesting dynamic where, you know, NBN uh, is actually also competing with its bigger customers, um, which I think, if nothing else, keeps things interesting for us. <laughs> Indeed it does. On that note, thanks so much, Rowan. See ya. Now, we have basically $6 billion of extra spending from NBN this week, um, but it means nothing unless the retailers embrace the products and, and the IT systems that it's creating um, and, and then go out and sell it. So in that light, uh, what the retailers have to say is very important in terms of the success or otherwise of what NBN is seeking to do. So this week, we had a talk to the retailers, um, and particularly our chief editor, Simon Ducks, who's with me now, did. Um, and Simon, the probably the most interesting response came from the vice president of regulatory at Optus, Andrew Sheridan. What did he have to say about this? The interesting thing that came out of some of the feedback we got from Andrew was that while all of the RSPs have generally welcomed uh, the plan, as it were, all of them have uh, taken the opportunity to revive the CVC issue. And we saw this again uh, with the ACCC's WBA4 submissions. Uh, it's coming into its final weeks now. But uh, Andrew was specifically concerned about some of the wider structural issues in the wholesale market. And it was quite interesting because if you look at Optus, they were one of the last telcos to actually come out against some of the activities that uh, MBM was doing in the enterprise market. So it was quite a milestone because uh, Andrew ended up saying to us that there were a few key issues as far as they were concerned. Uh, he suggested that wholesale commercial agreements that leave retailers little or no margins, uh, and essentially because of that, um, they end up bearing most of the risk as well. He also suggested that um, in addition to the CVC pricing that the current wholesale standards don't meet any of the customer or regulatory expectations and again he thinks the resellers have to bear the consequence of this because they pick up all the extra phone calls from unhappy customers and so on. So he suggested essentially a four point plan. He thinks we need to overhaul pricing. 
Uh, he thinks that would happen by removing the CVC and collapsing wholesale prices uh, into a monthly access fee that will vary by speed. And we've heard that from some of the other telcos as well. He thinks we need better effective service levels, we need clearer regulation, and uh, we also need to reform the USO because he suggested at the moment... Uh, the uh, funding of the USO is essentially funding two regional networks with Telstra and MBNCO, and the industry is subsidising both. Okay, that, that, that's um, a pretty full agenda there <laughs> he's, he's got. Um, generally, though, how do the retailers react to this prospect of being able to sell gigabit services to three quarters of the nation? Is that a, a concept which they embrace? It, it was really interesting because, of course, all of the smaller guys, and uh, particularly led uh, by uh, the biggest smaller guy, if you like, Aussie Broadband, were very, very excited about uh, the opportunity that this is going to present them. So uh, when you look at the big guys and what they thought, uh, there was a, quite a, a, a measured tone in response, all of them um, doing the right thing and welcoming uh, you know, uh, the announcement, essentially. The one key thing that they all brought up again was that we really do need to address the CVC side of things. And uh, as TPG and Optus all uh, said to us, that uh, while we have things like the CVC in place and uh, if we're not looking at the wholesale uh, pricing arrangements, then 5G will remain an attractive uh, alternative to uh, even some of these fibre-based services that are going to appear. On um, Vocus's point of view, they think the idea of having on-demand fibre is a really good thing. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Aussie uh, Broadband were just generally happy. Indeed. Um, now, of course, there was the separate announcement this week of the expansion of business fibre out, out to the regions to a potential universe of 1.4 million businesses, and for half of them at CBD prices. Uh, what was the reaction to that? Yeah, now this was uh, uh, quite an interesting uh, reaction when you look across the board, because naturally when you look at Telstra, Optus and TPG, who have uh, big uh, fibre footprints, also Vocus, uh, all of those guys could potentially be negatively impacted by all of this and it's going to hit their margins. So it was interesting to see that all of them were quite uh, generally positive, I would say, if, you, if, if you're actually looking at it. And uh, all of them suggested that it's going to be quite interesting on how this rolls out. But the, the, most, the people that were most excited were some of the uh, smaller carriers because, of course, this gives them a, a really big opportunity to compete in markets they may not have been able to do so uh, as well uh, just because of the fact that there's going to be a fibre alternative. And I can go through a couple of those as well. If you look at uh, uh, Superloop, uh, it came back to us and they thought that this was going to be the step towards removing uh, unjustifiable regional tax, as they call it, and zone pricing. Uh, Macquarie Telecom's Luke Clifton uh, went in for slight hyperbole, suggesting it's a final nail in the coffin for Tier 1's underserving and overcharging regional businesses that have not had a choice of provider. Some of the uh, uh, guys like Spirit Telecom, Sol Lukutsky, came to us and suggested that this is going to open up fibre-based competition. Uh, Vocus, uh, who are one of the biggest sellers of uh, MBN Enterprise Ethernet, 
uh, were also pretty positive about uh, some of the uh, advantages that they may get from this, even though it's also a potential threat to them as well. And uh, even uh, Telstra had a, a slightly nuanced reaction. Um, they, like a couple of the other bigger guys, uh, warned that there shouldn't be any overbuild. Uh, as long as there's no overbuild, they should be uh, pretty happy with what happens. And we have to remember that uh, although Telstra is going to get hit by some margin um, impact here as uh, these services come on stream and competitors go for it, Telstra can also use these to create new services and resell our MBM products in a mix as well. So they'll be looking pretty hard at this to try and work out how that should actually impact them on their enterprise services. Okay, thanks very much, Simon. Thanks again, Graham. So, some final thoughts. Apparently, we're now getting the NBN that we always wanted. It took 11 years for the government to admit it was wrong, and it was the most humiliating backflip in a generation. These are all the predictable responses to what was a long-anticipated upgrade, which was envisaged um, to the year, five years on from the build of FTTN, in the 2013 Strategic Review. It adds a modest 9% cost increment for a tenfold enhancement of speeds across half the footprint. For the next four years, NBNCO is forecasting about $3 billion of spend, resulting in 2 million FTTN premises passed with GPON and 400,000 connected. The success-based nature of this proposition avoids about $2.4 billion of potential leading costs for people who don't desire the speeds afforded by the upgrade. As NBNCO revealed on Wednesday, it is currently signing about 15% of new orders to 100, uh, 100 megabits per second and 1% to 250 megs to 1 gigabit. And despite the media framing of the nation as a fiberless wasteland, Australia already has a significant fibre-to-the-premises base, about 1.5 million users, and we can observe that just 13.9% of them take a 100 megabits per second service and 0.4% of them take a 250 to 1,000 megabit service. There's no reason to assume that new FTTP users in, say, Newcastle will behave any differently from the old ones in, say, Gosford down the road. An MBN would seem to agree, modelling just 20% uptake of GPON in FTTN areas within two years of the build. That should increase by a percent or two or three each year thereafter, finally assuming mainstay status maybe a decade down the track. The major driver for the GPON build is to take people on sub 100 megabits per second, even sub 50 megabits per second copper lines, and enable them to take 100 megs and beyond. In practice, this will mainly take the form of 50 meg migration to 100 meg. On current NBN wholesale pricing, this nets NBN an extra $13 per month per line in revenue. So by the end of 2024, NBNCO can thus expect to be garnering an extra $62 million a year or so in revenue from those 400,000 customers who've migrated up the speed plan and onto fibre. 
That's assuming NBN doesn't do something to make its 100 meg and 1000 meg pricing more attractive in order to drive more penetration of higher tiers and an appreciable market share gain, something it will likely do. A $3 billion spend to boost revenues by $62 million a year doesn't make that much sense on its own. It's just a 2% return. What's worse, NBNCO has a perverse disincentive here. If GPON adoption is too successful at 1,000 or 2 per additional lead-in, it blows the budget. Unlike New Zealand, there is no government success bounty here to smooth the bumps. It has to be paid for by borrowed private money. If only the economics broadband was less complicated. In some ways, it is. There's only one number you really need to understand here, and that's the fact that the Bureau of Communications and Arts Research has modelled the bandwidth applications that people actually use, how often they use them, and how many people there are using them in households. It's found that 95% of households will only be using 56 megabits per second or less across the next decade. This is intuitively true, too, as we all know that Netflix consumes more of our timeshare than any other app, and it measurably requires just 4 megabits per second of bandwidth per user. And we know that the vast majority of households have just one or two members. That puts a lid on potential use. There is no putative killer app that's going to alter this, short of abolishing contraception. Consumer video geared for the HD or 4K requirements of modern television, is the app of choice for the 1.1 billion 5 to the premise users across the world. There is no mystery innovation bubbling under the surface which is waiting for critical mass to manifest. Netflix and co. is basically it. And in the developed world at least, we are way past critical mass when it comes to adoption of 100 megs. Now, telco people often resile from this type of analysis. It offends their sense of unrelenting progress, and I suspect in some cases their self-esteem. The analysis I've just given here conforms to observed purchasing behaviour, especially in Australia, where our pricing is foolish due to its universal service elements. In Australia, around 85% of NBN customers buy 50 megabits per second or less, Intuitively, they understand what the telco commentariat often forgets, that price and speed tiers are constructs, and manipulative ones at that. As I've remarked before in a comms day column, every nightclub owner knows that the second cheapest bottle of wine on the menu is the best-selling one, because economic wants, say 100 megs or more, and needs, 50 megs or less in the MBN context, are conflated through the filters of scarce income and social signalling. High-speed broadband is a want and not a need for most, which means you can sell 100 megs to many people, but not for twice the price of 50 megs. A good example is Chorus in New Zealand. They charge, uh, in New Zealand dollars, $47 a month for 100 megs and $56 for 1,000 megs. So if you calculate that, a megabit is worth around... 50 cents for each of the first 100 of them, and then just one cent each for the next 900. 
That's an exhibition of your real willingness to pay, hiding in plain sight. What's more, just 15% of New Zealand users take the extra $9 gigabit offer, even though it prices those extra megabits at peanuts, just 15%. Consumers also instinctively understand, even if telcos don't, that there is limited information utility in the headline speed number of your broadband service. So in the Australian context, by the time your downloads are contended and filtered through the constraints of a Wi-Fi hub, the artificial constructs of CBC and UNI, the genuinely real contention of a head-end or node, the limitations of the far-end server, and the constraints of physics, such as distance-based latency, you are generally getting something that feels far less than a headline three-digit number. The MBN AVC, i.e. your headline speed, tells you how wide the highway is, but it doesn't tell you about the turnpikes, the roundabouts, the traffic lights, and how many other drivers there are congesting the roads en route to the destination. Now, that's not to say that NBN should not be performing this network upgrade. It has unique political, social, and financial circumstances to deal with. It needs to do something to help satisfy the incredibly long list of mission items that it has to fulfill. The latest obviously being the work from home revolution and also the need for economic stimulus. On one level, this network upgrade announcement shows the value of the multi-technology mix. The entire HFC and FTTC footprint of what will be 3.2 million activated premises can be brought to full gigabit capability for about $150 per premise. That sounds like good value to me, given the avoided cost of between $1,000 and $2,000 per line by bypassing fiber to the premises in the first place. On another level, the overall upgrade takes the network's gigabit capacity from 20% to 75% of the footprint for a modest 9% cost increment to the overall network build cost. The biggest news for me is that NBN is now attempting to genuinely create a new market segment. Symmetrical, high-quality broadband for SMEs, branch offices, and sole trader partnership types in the regions and the suburbs through its range of on-fiber and MTM business offerings. This will boost NBN ARPUs and revenues, perhaps by about 20% in the medium term. And that's not imagined demand. Broadband as a business tool has much more economic value than as an entertainment delivery vehicle. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live. This week for our special episode looking at the NBN corporate plan and its network upgrades across the next four years. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.